Blog Talk Radio. All right. Greetings, ladies and gents. Welcome to another episode of JL Radio. I hope you guys are ready to top your evening off with some amazing discussion. Tonight's topic is bridging the financial divide within the African-American community. We're going to break down what we think poverty is, why we feel African-Americans aren't able to exit as a whole out of it, and how we can educate, equip, and empower empower people to lessen the financial void and the gap. If you want to join in to this conversation, feel free to hit up those phone lines at 516-666-9820. You can also tweet me at Jessica LaShawn. I'll be glad to get those questions on air for you. Or you can send me a message on Facebook. Find me Jessica LaShawn, I am available. This discussion is not only about us on the line, but it is about you as well, the listener. This is all about educating and empowering and having an impact. We have a few of our guest speakers on the line. I'm going to bring all of you live at this moment, and I'm going to introduce you individually. How you guys doing? Good. Good. Yeah, I love when it happens. <laughs> Just an array of happiness when you open the phone lines. <laughs> All right. Let me inform the public as to who you are. Oh, well, can you guys give an introduction? First, we have on the line Mike. No, Mike is not on the line. I apologize. Brandon, hey. Hey, JL, how you doing tonight? I am awesome. How are you doing? Doing very well, and hello to the other uh, panelists, I'll say. Um, (laughs) Yeah. All right. Give us a little information about you and uh, your love and passion for money management, finance, and education. Sure, sure. Um, Thank you again for the opportunity. My name is Brandon Evans. Um, I am the Business Entrepreneurship Services Manager for the YWCA of Metropolitan Chicago before that. Um, I worked as the International Trade Bureau Executive um, Assistant for a while. I was for a minute the director there uh, with the Rainbow Push Coalition. Um, So for about eight years now, I've been working with folks to uh, support them in their efforts to grow their businesses and also um, worked on a personal campaign, uh, Money Mob, that was put together with some friends of mine to support um, African-American businesses in the Chicagoland area um, through direct support organizing campaigns. I'm supporting them through marketing efforts, so um, you know things things in that way. So, um, been doing it for a little while now. Um, to answer the question in the way of how it it matters to me in the money management side, I just feel like I see the bigger picture on it, and just see how a lot of the the issues and things that we deal with in the community are connected um, right at the intersection of you know economic empowerment and um, you know awareness around those issues. Mm-hmm. All right, we have David on the line. How are you? I'm doing excellent, JL. How are you? I am amazing. I'm excited about this topic. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's okay. I call you JL. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's just fine. Just the sound is a little long. <laughs> good, good, JL. So can you give us a little background about yourself and also your love and passion for finance? Yes. Um, so I uh, started off as a financial advisor, directly out of college with a company, Northwestern Mutual Financial Network, um, and just began my education, you know, right from uh, school. I had a bachelor's of science and finance from U of I, and, you know, my whole vision and in, in, in growing up, uh, I, w- I wouldn't say in a, in a poverty background, but uh, I guess you would say the the lower part of the economic background and just having a passion and desire to learn more about money and money management and understanding it uh, led me to get a degree in finance and then go into financial planning. So investments, insurance, uh, my background, uh, further extended that education, got an MBA in finance and a master's of accounting and financial management. Um, And then later in 2009, joined forces with uh, Mass Mutual Financial Group uh, where I continue to do financial planning. Uh, I've also been a real estate investor and owner since 2002. 
so has have taken plenty of time and, and invested in real estate and understanding how that impacts our community. Uh, in 2012, I uh, actually acquired my real estate broker's license, and for the last, I would say, two, two and a half years, I've been trying to just educate individuals on how real estate can impact your life and increase your income and, and show individuals how to utilize that as a tool to invest and, and create additional streams of income outside of just working a job. Uh, so work with a firm now, an African-American firm, African-American-owned firm, uh, Dream Spots here in, in Chicago, uh, providing, you know, real estate services uh, for for everyone and just showing them how to utilize it today. So uh, just excited, excited to be here and, and, and passionate about educating uh, our community and showing them how to improve their financial situation. All right. All right. Next on the line, we have Tamisha Jonay. Hi. Good evening. Good evening. Can you tell how us a little you? bit about – oh, I am great. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself and also your love for and passion for finance and money. Sure. So I started a company in 2014 called Epiphany Essentials. And the purpose of my company is to inspire, engage, inform, and empower individuals to live life on purpose and just to live better lives. So every Friday, I blog about financial freedom. Money was something that was always important to me. And I grew up in a household where my father had the belief when you get a bill, you pay it, pay everything cash, credit is bad. And my mother was a chargeaholic, shops <laughs> in, pay the bill, once the final notice comes, ignore the letters in the mail. So for me, it was about finding balance and also understanding you can use credit as a tool to leverage yourself. And so credit isn't necessarily all bad. It just depends on how you utilize credit, understanding money and learning about money and realizing that people don't get financial education. African Americans do not get financial education. It's not taught in schools. Most parents don't teach their children, so I thought I should start a conference, Wealth, Wellness, and Empowerment, and I actually had other guest speakers because I'm not a complete expert. I'm more self-taught. I'm reading books, attending seminars, learning from the wealthy, and learning what it truly means to be wealthy and that a lot of people view wealth as the ability to spend and not actually accumulating true wealth. So my passion is just an individual passion for my own personal finances and leaving a legacy for my family and my children and also empowering empowering, I'm sorry, our community as well to economically empower themselves. Mhm. This is an amazing panel. I am excited about this. Can you guys, and when you answer these questions, can you make sure that you say your name first and then uh, give your opinion? I'd like to know how everyone was actually introduced. I know Jamisha just explained her uh, introduction, but I'd like to know how everyone else was introduced to finance. Was it something that you learned in your home? Was it something that you learned in school or just something along the years that you figured out was important? Uh, this is David Thomas. I, I'll definitely let you know that I feel like I learned how not to do finance through my household, like watching my parents uh, growing up. That's where my desire to learn how to properly utilize money and invest and just my, my desire to learn more came from being in a household where I felt like money and, and finance wasn't used, wasn't being used properly. Um uh, so that's that's where my desire came from. Mm-hmm. I'll say on the back of that jail, um this is Brandon. Uh to the point David was making, absolutely I concur. Growing up, um a lot of the issues I saw in my household were connected with money and you just you, as a child you see that and you you you're always wondering like how 
how can I not have to deal with these things? How how do I not allow those things that I saw my folks struggle with or allow them to cause allow it was that that caused them headaches, you know? How can I not deal with these things as I as I move forward and what can I do to set myself up in a different way? So yeah, it definitely starts starts in the household, good and bad habits. Mm-hmm. Can you guys hear me? Yes. I can hear you now. Oh, I had yep. to speak up. I'm like, wait a minute, intro. And I'm like, let me make sure I'm actually odd. <laughs> I'm ready. Jessica Lashawn, how are you? I was like, wait a minute, did I go <laughs> Sorry, I had to make sure I was actually on the panel here. I apologize. Okay, that's great. Um, well, let's give you your introduction as well, and please let us know about you. Thanks. I apologize. I didn't mean to jump in like that. Oh, I'm also known as the Frugal Credit Mista. So what I have is a personal education company, personal financial education company, where I teach people to destroy their debts, grow their money, and store their credit scores. I've actually been in real estate as well for 13 years, and I actually started the company to sell more homes. (laughs) So it was not a passion uh, at first, but more so because I knew that there was a need for uh, customers who came in who didn't have the uh, clients to quite the credit scores rather to quite get there, and I saw it as a need to um, keep in contact with clients who normally realtors let walk out the door. And it wasn't until I went through my own financial setbacks I was actually diagnosed with cervical cancer, went through foreclosures, judgments, medical expenses that I realized how much. Um, education, not only myself that I needed, but also my community needed as well. So by using my own personal experiences, obtaining um, both of actually two master degrees and certifications in the credit industry, I've been able to put that to use to not only um, in my personal coaching program, but also with uh, credit empowerment products. And I do a lot of just free information out there via workshops and speaking engagements because we need so much financial literacy and education within our community. Yes. I love everything that you just said. This is amazing. Thank I you. was just <laughs> I was just introduced to uh the whole financial aspect. Um for all of our listeners out there, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but I was featured in the New York Times a few years ago because of a horrible date that I had. And the guy asked me if I knew my credit score, and I was like, uh, no. <laughs> and it was absolutely ended at that point. And everyone was saying, Jessica, you're in your 30s. You need to be aware of your finances and your credit and all that. And that was the big eye-opener for me. So to have you guys on the line and willing to share your knowledge and your passion for this whole topic is absolutely wonderful. We have another panelist online. Mike, how you doing? Hey, hey, I'm doing pretty awesome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Mike? Hello. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Yeah. My name is uh, Michael Mann. Um, I go by the man. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I uh, I, uh, I run a small company, uh, Simple Fast Funded. Uh, we work with uh, business owners uh, to raise capital for their organizations. Um I've been in, uh, I guess, finance for a little bit of time now, and uh, I, I work on the business side of things. So I, I work with those business owners and, um, you know, entrepreneurs that are looking to, I guess, uh, take their business to the next level, and they're looking for capital, and they come to us to uh, kind of achieve those goals. So I kind of see, and, and I think my uh, journey in personal finance is just, you know, kind of that end result, like, you know, how do we get to uh, a place to where we can get businesses uh, funded? And, you know, what does that mean as far as, you know, credit, how to generate uh, capital, and whether it's uh, doing presentations and venture capital for investors and what they like to, to I guess, look for and really creating that wealth, you know, through entrepreneurship. So, um, but, yeah, and I love to, to, you know, I guess share some of my my stories and uh, my insight, but and I'm really excited to be on a call with everyone else here, so. Mm-hmm. I have a question from Alex. He wants to know why do you think black people suffer from awareness of finances and money management? 
anyone want to tackle that? Um, I guess I will. <laughs> this is Natilla. <laughs> you know what? Um, I don't think it's a lack of more so awareness of where you are or where you are not where you want to be. It's a lack of knowing you can get out of it. Um, when I talk to people, they know that they can achieve more. It's like they, they like inside, you know, no matter how tiny it is, they have that desire that, you know, I know that I can get out of this, but I don't know how to get out of it. And that's the key issue. It's, it's the lack of um, financial education. Like you mentioned being 30 and not even knowing your credit score. It wasn't something that really um, – dawned on you to get, like it wasn't something that was important to you. And I realize that a lot of times we don't take steps to move forward until something negative happens or until we're trying to obtain something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's, oh, my God, like with me, my own story. Like I was in credit, I, but I wasn't really worried about my own credit score because I made enough money during that big boom of real estate where I can buy stuff for cash. But once the boom, you know, the credit uh, real estate industry tanked, I was diagnosed with cancer at the same time. Three months after that, I found that I was pregnant. Then it was like, okay, I need to stop worrying about stuff that I should have been worried about in the first place. So it's almost like, okay, I know I want better, but it's not important right now to go there. And it's also a matter of I don't know what tools to get me there. So there's like a three-part issue to that. But I know that there is an awareness just because I talk to so many people. Like they know they're not where they want to be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they know that's. Do I? How do I get out of it? That's the main thing. How do I get out of it? And even when they go and they seek out information online, um, even when they, you know, read certain things that I post or other financial educators, then there's a lack of um, understanding of that information, how to digest it and apply it to themselves. Anyone else? Uh, this is this is David Thomas. I, I'll definitely kind of try to address it from from my personal point of view. Um, I, I feel like my lack of, of knowledge and understanding, I mean, I, I would really point back to my household. Um, and I feel like, you know, for myself today, I currently make it a point to try to educate uh, the individuals that are in my household and, you know, raise them at a point where they understand certain things when it comes to, you know, just financial awareness and, and understanding, you know, how your credit score is actually calculated, um, you know, how how you're generating revenue or, you know, it's just those certain things, just basically educating them on a consistent basis as topics arise and just making sure they're aware of certain things. I mean, you know, a lot of, I mean, even beyond, you know, financial awareness is, you know, how do we get to this point? You know, you know, look at your uh, ancestors, you know, my grandparents or my grandparents' grandparents, I don't know them. One of the main reasons I don't know them is because I'll say that, you know, there was nothing really left uh, from those individuals. But when we look at some other ancestors from some other possible, you know, communities, uh, we know the Rockefellers or we know the Trumps or we know these individuals because they design wills and trusts to pass wealth. Um, and I'm sure in order to keep that wealth, they were somewhat educated in their household. So I think it's just a, a matter of educating, you know, starting at home, honestly. Mm-hmm. And this is Jolay. I'll pick piggyback off of David and say I agree and using my own personal experience. Like I said, my father said, don't get credit cards. Okay, great. But I'm 18 years old. I'm on a college campus. They say, fill out this form and we'll give you a free t-shirt. And next thing you know, I have a credit card with a $1,000 plus limit, but I have no income. But I don't understand the impact of my credit score on my future. So I graduate from college, no student loans, but I'm in credit card debt. And my father is basically like, I told you so, but he didn't really explain it to me. So you told me what not to do, but I wasn't told why I shouldn't do it and how it could affect me in the long run and how it would take me five to ten years to pay off this debt in order to be able to buy anything or purchase property or even get a job. I missed out on a job because I had bad credit. 
So there were things that were not explained to me that I did not understand that I was basically, in a way, not ruining my future, but setting myself back just because I really didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. We have a few questions. And, um, again, for those of you that are interested, feel free to tweet me at Jessica LaShawn or call in. The call-in number is 516-666-9820. I got about ten questions in for you guys. Um, first off, John wants to know if any of you have any advice on how to get credit when you make less than twenty k a year. No? Nobody? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> um, go ahead. I'll let you go first. Go ahead. No, no, please. Go ahead. I, I, I'll let you speak for sure. Go ahead. Uh, well, credit, as far as building, it really depends on, a lot of people think it's totally separate from your financial situation. Before you go and obtain a credit card, See what your budget is. One of the things that I start people off, especially who don't make a significant amount of money or who just really want to learn how to manage credit first, is I have them write out all of their monthly expenses, uh, subtract it from their income, but really look at what their expenses are because you don't want to add debt. You don't want a debt score. You want a credit score. And the best way to do that is to use credit as a tool. So what I have them do is to obtain a credit card, teach them how to read those terms and apply for something that they can actually get approved for so they won't have to be hit automatically with all these uh, hard inquiries, which can, you know, slightly start lowering your score. But then to take something that they already are paying on for a monthly basis, something low, and then exchange how you pay it out. So, for instance, a lot of my clients have um, Netflix or Hulu or something to that something small that they're paying on. So instead of having that payment come out of their bank account, I say, okay, well, let's just switch it with the credit card. That way you're not adding on another monthly expense, which at that price, that income range, another monthly expense is like um, something you don't want. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the already strained at the moment. So right now you're just switching how you pay for it. So instead of it being subtracted from your account right away, what you're doing is you're taking that expense paying with the credit card. When the credit card is due, you already have the money within your budget, your monthly expenses to to handle that. So that way you're not adding on something new. You're simply switching out the method in which you paid for it. What's going to happen, you're building credit along the way, but you're also not adding on another monthly uh, bill. And, uh, you know, I can tell you at that Income range, I have been there. Like anything tragic happens, it's like everything falls downhill. So the last thing you want to do is while you're trying to build up a credit score, adding on other expenses to a, maybe an already strained budget. So that's actually my advice. <laughs> okay, David? Um, I, I think she hit on it amazingly. I mean, it's understanding where you are is, is really, really critical. Um, at you know at that income stage, is I think part of making sure your your credit is together has to really deal with managing what you currently have and making sure you establish credit where you are and your ability to manage what you can manage. Um, and it, and it's just starting small. I mean, when I finally understood my credit. Um, you know, I started off with an actual a secure credit card. That's literally how I began to build my credit and and take matters into my own hand. Um, and I started off uh, with a partially secu- partially secure credit card. Um, so you know, I had to send in a, a couple of I think it was like a hundred dollars or a hundred and fifty, and I got a three hundred dollar. Uh, credit card limit, and I began to manage that and understand the different dates that are associated with the credit. Um, a lot of individuals don't even understand uh, when the credit bureaus are reporting um, how to maintain your balances and, and you know the reporting date versus the due date, and they don't understand the importance of your balance when the bureaus take that snapshot of your actual credit. So. I, th- I think it really just comes down to being able to manage where you are and taking it slow and just understanding how to manage what you can initially, and then you can expand on that as your income grows and just manage it better. I mean, start small and, and, and grow as things grow, you know, within your household and within your finances. Okay. 
We have a question from Chris. He would like to know, what is the FICO score, and how does it relate to the credit score, and is one more important than the other? Anyone have any info on that? Guess I'm looking. <laughs> uh, FICO is a version of the FICO score. It's actually, I mean, a credit score. It's actually one of the most popular. They dominate uh, the credit scoring industry by 90%. Like everybody uses FICO. So if you're going to work on improving your score, that's the one that you would like to focus on. Um, there's five parts. We call it the, third, the FICO pie. And although the exact formula and how FICO is formulated uh, will never be released, I mean, it's, it's, it's proprietary, so they're not going to release it, release it exactly, just keep in mind that you still have this five that I'm going to go over, that five-point um, range that you want to stick within. Number one, your payment history. So you want to make sure that you pay everything on time. So that's like 35% of your score, and the bulk of that 35% is based on how well you uh, meet your financial obligations. Number two, which is what David, was that you, David, who spoke on balances? Yes. So that's utilization. 30%. Yes, utilization is huge. So 30% of your FICO score is based off of how much of your available credit you are utilizing. And the bulk of that is based off of credit card usage because FICO um, puts more emphasis on unsecured debt. So obviously unsecured debt is anything that's not secured by an asset. So it's not really installment loans that are tied to um, houses and cars, but it's more so going to put uh, more weight on items such as credit cards. Um, so you want to make sure that any credit cards you have, you stay, a lot of people say 30%, you lose some points right there. Always tell my clients to don't do anything 20%. And if you really are rebuilding, meaning you're brand spanking new, then you want to keep it under 10% because you're going to maximize the scoring model at that point. Then you have your length of age, how long you've had history. You're not going to get too much good out of that if you're just starting off, which is why a lot of people recommend being an authorized user on some uh, someone's account a loved one, family member, what have you, who has positive history. So you have your age, you have your um, inquiries, which is within a new credit, and then you have your credit mix, how well you handle different types of credit. All of this is researchable. If you go to myfico.com, they actually have some great information. Uh, Creditcards.com has great info on uh, breaking up the FICO model, as well as nolo.com, N-O-L-O, and bankrate.com because um, I'm sure we can talk about the FICO score model all day and different parts of it, but it's best if you look it up yourself and go back to it, review it, and get a good understanding of it. So that's the one you should focus on, FICO, and it is like the top scoring model, credit scoring model out there. Mm-hmm. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Jessica LaShawn Radio. We are discussing the financial divide and how to bridge the gaps within the African-American community. We have a bunch of questions coming in. I did not know that this topic would be so serious to people. Um, Mona would like to know, any advice on how to teach my children the importance of money at an early age? I'll chime in here. This is Jamicia Jones. There is a book that's written by a gentleman. I'm going to have to Google it. I know his last name is Cuddy, but I read it. It's actually will be how to teach your children to be millionaires. And he discusses not giving your kids money for anything. So now once they're old enough to ask for money, put them to work. There are other things discussed in the book, but introducing them to money, letting them know, sharing the family budget with your children. Children grow up and they really think money grows on trees or like I believed that the ATM was this magic machine that money came out of, you know, because you see your parents go, they put their card in, and money comes out. So my son started believing that as well, and I had to explain to him, no, mommy makes a certain amount of money that goes into her bank account. Once that runs out, you cannot go to the machine to take money out. So depending on the age of your child, you start introducing them to simple concepts because if they can always say, give me a dollar or 50 cent or $2, whether you have it or you don't, explaining to them the why, the how, the what, and as they get older, there's a great game, um, cash flow for kids. 
that once your child is at least five or depending on how developed they are, they're old enough to play this game because it's very simple. So there are other games out there as well that you can play with your kids. Monopoly is a great way to teach your children about money and finances. So there are ways to make it fun where it's not like a chore or giving them a goal. If your five-year-old wants a doll, okay, how much does a doll cost? Let's start doing chores and you're going to save money in order to buy this doll. So there are just a lot of different ways that you can incorporate financial education. But as soon as they can ask for it, they're ready to learn what the value of it is, how it's made, how it's created, and just use their age range and find products in their books, so many resources out there, games online that you can play with your kids or have them play to help them learn more about money and finances so they don't just think the ATM is a magic machine and money grows on trees. (laughs) That's so cute. Anyone else? No. Well, um, right. this is this is David. I'll just say I'm 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 with Jamisa Jone all the way. Um, my daughter and I we play cash flow for kids all the time. Um, I mean it's it's just something we do, uh, and she understands every time we're going to the store. If she wants something, it's like okay, baby, where's your money? Uh, <laughs> so it's it's one of those things where education is just on a on a consistent basis, uh, and just start where you are. Uh, you know, try to educate because I mean, some individuals will tell you, you know, they really don't know. But just start where you are. You know, try to educate them as much as you can. Try to introduce them to different books. Um, you know, my daughter's read uh, "Rich Dad Poor Dad," which is a book by Robert Kiyosaki. It's one of the first uh, books that I was introduced to when I was starting on self-help and understanding more about creating wealth and things of that nature. So. Um, you know, I try to do it in games and, and make it fun. So I agree. Okay. And to chime back in really quickly, the gentleman's name is Cuddy W. Bacon. He's actually a self-made African-American male millionaire, and the name of the book is How to Teach Your Children to Be Millionaires. I'm sorry, guys. I was uh, taken aback by two of the comments and the questions that I just received. This is about to get really good. I hope you guys are ready. <laughs> I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you one of these now. It's it's a mix between a comment and a question. And this person says, here's a real question, though. Why do we think that Boycott and Black Friday will make a difference if we just go back and make the same ratchet purchases on Saturday, Cyber Monday, or any time? <laughs> Why can't we just show some solidarity and not spend money on bull crap just so our kids can have more stuff? Does that make sense? Huh. So would anyone like to address that? I know that's a little left from where we were going, but this whole show is about finances, how to spend money, and how to make better choices. So would anyone like to take that on? I mean, that's a real – this is Brandon. I mean, that's a very real perspective, although put in a kind (laughs) of upset way. I can understand that too. But there's no infrastructure really for us to, to put money into in that way. Um, if you look at our communities and how they're set up, there is this economic farming that happens. And when you look at the businesses that are in them, there's no way for us to put money into our community outside of dealing with individuals like yourselves, people that have their own companies, real estate, things like that. If you look at the stores that you're going to that you're buying hair products from, um, a number of the restaurants, that money is leaving right out of the community. And if you look at what Black Friday is, a lot of these companies are 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 looking at their profit margins and going into the black that day. That is the day that they know that folks are going to come out, they're spending money, and it's rooted in that consumerist mind state. That's that's where that's at for us. Uh, That is true. I definitely agree with you. And uh, just a little bit my perspective, I don't have kids yet, but when I do, I'm sorry, their feelings are just going to be hurt. We are not going to do this whole Christmas thing with all these gifts. I'm, I'm just going to work real hard throughout the whole year, and we're going to volunteer for Christmas. That's That right there is my planning <laughs> for my budget for Christmas. <laughs> Anyone else want to jump on that question or comment there? No? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, I'm telling you, I, was, I have seen so much about boycotting Black Friday and comparing it to 
uh, some of the movements that were done during the civil rights. So we have to remember that was a movement. So Mm -hmm. in order to start that movement, it does have to start from somewhere, but then it has to be something that's going to snowball it and make it uh, uh, end goal. So, you know, boycott Black Friday support, you know, Black Friday might be the beginning of that movement, but there has to be something more. What do we want the end result of that boycott to be? As you mentioned, you know, most people are just going to avoid Black Friday and then go right back and buy the gifts that they planned on buying, and you know, <laughs> afterwards. And that is so true. Um, so sometimes we have to think, okay, how can I start my own little mini movement in my own circle? Um and that's where you kind of have to start at first. I mean, it will, I would love to create this huge black movement all by myself, but it can't happen. It's also about partnerships as well and putting the message out there. And it may start small. Do you know how many people were not involved in the civil rights movement with all mm-hmm. that we got accomplished, how many black African Americans sat by the sideline? So sometimes when you are at the onsite of that movement, when you're like creating the catalyst, the thing that's going to jet, you know, jet flash or avalanche or snowball it, um, you're not going to have everybody around you. Just focus on those key people to partner with who can create that movement and get some things moving in the right direction. That's my mm. <laughs> I, that That is absolutely true. I, I firmly agree with you. Uh, Maxwell said, Brandon made some great points. How can we demand our elected officials lure more black entrepreneurs to our communities so that we can spend with our own and that money can stay close to home? This is Denisia Jone. I'll chime in here. So a a family member works for the Renaissance Collaborative in Bronzeville, and the current treasurer in Chicago is an African-American male. There is tons of free money out here for business owners who are African-American, but they have to have their business together. You have mm-hmm. to have a business license. You have to have a LLC, an S-Corp. You have to have filed your paperwork. They have to be doing their taxes and showing a profit. A lot of businesses like to not show a profit because it goes on your individual income tax and it lowers your taxable income. So there is money out here. There are TIF funds. There is so much out here. There are resources out here that, one, people don't know about. They're not trying to know about it or they aren't in a position to take advantage of it. I was just listening to the radio yesterday, and a lot of money for the Woodlawn community through TIF funds has been redistributed throughout Chicago to other communities. Could there be some sort of um, mismanagement? Sure, this is Chicago. It's the Windy City. Politics aren't always on the up and up. However, at the same time, are we as African Americans doing our part to make sure that we have our business in order and our finances to the point of this conversation in order to be able to take advantage of what is out there for us. Hey, this is Michael. Um, I want to jump in real quick on this topic. Um, I work with small businesses every single day, whether they're like seasoned business owners or just newer startups. And I really think it just, uh, um, you know, part of it, um, um, like Jamisha was saying, it's so much opportunity as far as funding available for businesses. Um, I think more so if it's just access to that information um, or just the, the knowledge that these things are available for you. Um, I, I think uh, if we want to see more, um, you know, black businesses flourish in our communities, I think we just really need to make a, a stronger push toward entrepreneurship and really encourage that as, you know, a viable option. Um, You know, uh, part of my history is that I want to say before I actually started working with small businesses, I used to work in a nonprofit realm. And uh, I remember one company I worked for, we had a a training program for ex-offenders. And we would uh, teach them how to to cook. And my, my role was to go out there and create job opportunities for them. And I will always tell the 
you know, the students that came through that program that everything I'm doing you can do for yourself. And I would just encourage them. Um, I would just go out and pound the pavement, knock the doors, and make the phone calls. But um, there's no op- this is there is an abundance of resources available. There is no shortage of of wealth, of money, of access, of knowledge out there. You just have to go out there and get it. No one's going to give it to you. And so um, I think that this is like I'm. I sit in my office and I, I get ten, fifteen different business plans every single day of companies wanting funding. Whereas, you know, some of the information, some of the, uh, I guess the business plans are are, are not the greatest. <laughs> um, people have some ideas. They just, hey, look, I just want this money. Let's get it started. And they, and they get the money. It's just, and they have a will, desire to go out there and do it. So I think that <clears throat> it's, it's like, if, I think if people just, you know, I guess, made more of a, I want to say like a conscious decision and got a lot more encouragement from um, their peers, the neighbors, the community, and it was like, hey, look, this is a viable option. I think we will see uh, a lot more of it. I think it's slowly coming around. Like a lot of the new millennials that I, I, I talked to, whether they, 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 they were not satisfied when they got the college education of the, 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 the jobs that were available, so they started creating their own. Um, and you can even see that in Chicago, the big tech boom is happening. Um, but it's it's just an abundance of resources out there. It's, it's every single day I see it. So I just wanted to jump in and kind of share that. Mm-hmm. All right. Torrey uh, sent this question. He said, one of the panelists mentioned ways to make money. Can I really make money from real estate and or life insurance dividends policies? Anyone have uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is David Thomas. I'm a. I definitely. I mean, I can speak on that wholeheartedly, just because I've been in the insurance industry for over 13 years. Uh, I've been in the real estate industry as well for over 13 years. Um, within the last five years, I've <clears throat> I've drawn down um, dividends and interest from my actual insurance policies um, to reinvest in real estate. Uh, more than thirty thousand, to be exact. Um, and I started young, uh, so I did have quite a bit invested in different things. But the answer is yes. Uh, it's just making sure you understand how to do it, how to do it properly. Uh, there are a lot of different insurance products and policies that are out there. Um, they have some that are whole life policies that, and I don't, I don't want to get too technical, but. Uh, they have something called direct recognition, indirect recognition. Um, it's the difference between when you're drawing money against an insurance policy and that policy continuing to grow versus drawing money against that insurance policy and that money actually dwindling. Um, so it's really important that you just get educated by someone who is really trying to look out for your best interest versus someone who's just trying to sell you a policy when it comes to life insurance. Um, and then on the real estate side, you know, we utilize multi-unit properties to increase your income on a consistent basis if you understand how to either be a landlord, if that's something that you want to do. Uh, that's very important. You have to understand if it's something you want to do. Some people don't want to deal with tenants, and I understand that. I get that. If you don't want to do that aspect of it, there are other ways you can do it by not dealing with tenants, uh, and it's just having a proper team, having a proper knowledge, having the proper connections to put these things in place and, and utilize it. So those are two things that I'm very passionate about. I use them every single day today on a consistent basis. Um, and I have several clients who use them today um, and invest and, and utilize the, both of those techniques. And this is Jonay again. I am actually a client of David Thomas, and we went to college together. So when he started working for Mass, not Mass Mutual, Northwestern Mutual, way back then as an intern, I purchased a life insurance policy for myself at the age of 21. Fast forward to 34, I was able to pull down money from my life insurance policy However, my policy still grows. So I bought a $50,000 policy at the age of 21. It's valued at about 88000 right now, although I have drawn money from it 
and I used it to purchase a multi-unit building, um, which David was my broker for that as well. <laughs> so that's why I said absolutely. So I used my insurance um, cash value. It builds cash value. I use some of the cash value. I don't have to pay the cash value back, but if I don't pay it back, what it does is it keeps my current cash value low, but it doesn't affect my life insurance policy payout, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. you can absolutely use both, and I am a landlord. It's not you know, dealing with people, you may not want to do it. However, a lot of people don't want to go to nine to fives every day, but you do that. So sometimes you have to figure out what do you want to sacrifice? What is it that you want to gain? Are you looking at the bigger picture of where you want to go, you know, in your life? You don't have to be a landlord. It's not necessarily for everybody. However, I'm just saying sometimes you sacrifice, make it happen, do it for a little while and um, benefit from the income. Mm. I hope you guys are taking notes out there. You can also play this back because I just learned a lot. Cause I'm I, taking notes in here. Mike had to me on to this. Mike had to me on to this, and I don't know if he's really going to uh, say anything about this, but I thought life insurance policies are just, you know, money to bury somebody with. I didn't know that that was actually yeah. something that you could invest in and utilize for money later on down the line. Well, I'm, I'm a, I'll hit on that specifically again. This is David Thomas. So, Yes, you can. I started, I learned about how to, what I watched was a lot of wealthy individuals uh, who didn't look like us, and I watched what they were doing, and I learned, I started learning at Northwestern Mutual, and I furthered that education at Mass Mutual Financial Group, and a lot of them use certain whole life policies. Um, A lot of business owners utilize the cash values in these policies to float their business. Um, You can draw against some of that money that you've put into those policies, utilize it, put the money back in there, or leave it out. Uh, It's a lot of different techniques. Um, I mean, I have a couple set up for myself as a retirement supplement product so that when the market is down, I'm drawing money against an actual policy versus drawing money out of my investments so that my investments can have time to rebound. And then once they rebound, continue to withdraw money from there and vice versa, play off of that insurance policy. So there, there are a number of different techniques that can be utilized with life insurance. But again, I mean, financially, you just have to be willing to commit because it's not a short-term strategy. If you you listen to Jonah, you listen to myself, we've had these things in place for years. So it's something that you need to begin to really reap the benefits of. You can't start today and utilize it in two or three years and expect to get a, a, a huge benefit from it. it. It takes time to grow and utilize. I'm, okay, I need write this down. Buy some more life insurance. Buy a few days <laughs> and buy some property. Okay, we got a caller yes. on the line. <laughs> Go ahead. Caller, are you there? Chris? Okay. No, I guess he hung up. I guess I was taking too long to get to him. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. I have so many questions here for you guys. Uh, Some of these are slightly comments, but I think they hit on some very valuable points. Max says, I personally feel that the black church financially cripples our communities. How can we address this without being disrespectful to Christ? Anybody have an opinion on the church? Because if anybody knows how to get some money out of black folks, it is the church. How can we utilize that to probably invest in our communities a little bit more or or anything else? Just anybody got something to say?
about what mm-hmm. they can do, what they are. It's like they pump them up with all this, you know, you are a child of God and you can claim this. And then they're telling me what they bought their pastor. Oh, you know, well, the pastor got this. We got the pastor that. We got the pastor this. Your job is not to take care of your pastor and make him a millionaire. That's not the point of tithing. Okay, so, hey, you need to find out where your money is going. A lot of people think that tithing is just um, going to get them blessings. So they tithe with a selfish intent. If I tithe, I'll get mm-hmm. this. That's not the beauty of tithing, and that's not the meaning. So a lot of us need to go, you know, reflect what is tithing. I'm not going to make this a religious thing. What is tithing? And then say, hey, where is this money going? And if I am in uh, trouble, if something is going on, will my church be there to help me? I'll never forget I had a family member who gave over 10%. And when she was facing eviction, do you think those church members were there for her? Do you think anybody made sure that she, you know, collected a plate to make sure that she and her family were fed, that she was able to at least get some type of shelter? Oh, then what are you giving them your money for? Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, with- <laughs> 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 that there. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> yeah. And just so you point, guys know, for I those of you, you that do tie, oh, oh, I'll let you go, Brandon. I was just going to say, but to that point, though, um, the model could be improved, though. It could work. The idea yes. of the fact that there is this pool of money that can be created and there, the opportunity for folks to be able to go to a church and approach them with a the business plan and look at them as not just this place that you put money into expecting a blessing, but a place that can operate as a resource for the community um, if I, I would say that a forward-thinking pastor would be in a great place if they created that model for their church and marketed it in the right way and, and did, you know, what Sister was saying, uh, being very accountable about it, very transparent about it, and, and helping to undergrade and build up the community. I, I think that's an awesome idea. And, and yeah. there's a lot of churches that have the means and the congregations to do just that. I can do. That sounds like a plan. I want to do that. All right. Do that too. Just so everyone knows that if you do tithe, uh, make sure you keep your receipts or document it because that is a tax write-off. Because mm-hmm. most churches are nonprofit organizations. Yay! <laughs> All right. And Melvin wants to know if oh, we only have seven more minutes, guys. I told you this was going to go by fast. <laughs> Never wants to know if anyone has any advice on how – oh, I'll have to read this as the way he wrote it. Any advice on how I, as a parent, can encourage my son's school to incorporate everything that you guys are talking about in his high school curriculum? My coworker's son attends a suburban school, and this is basic for them. However, it is not important within our urban schools. I would say if he actually does research, he would see that overall it's not important in many schools, whether African-American or Caucasian. The more I learn about money and wealth, I learn that while there is a divide, most people are uneducated. I don't care what color they are on finances. Being in Chicago, I don't know what city he's in, but they're taking away resources right now. So my thing would be, can you start some sort of after-school program or get with some parents or someone in the community and bring them in to do something at the school on a Saturday? Like one thing that we need to start doing as a community is figure out how we can take care of us, not the school, not the politicians, not the government, what can we do? Who has um, free time? Where are the entrepreneurs that can volunteer their time to come in to the schools? Not saying that it can't be incorporated into the curriculum. Create one, figure out how to do that. But at the same time, if you want to get with some parents and start having meetings at homes on Saturdays, let's find some experts and talk about this with our kids. There are ways to get this information to our children and our communities using ourselves and holding ourselves accountable for getting that information to them. Because truth be told, a lot of their educators don't know either. That is true. And Chris wanted me to add on that he should join the school board. So that's advice from the panel. 
How about we take some time because we have five panelists. Each of you give a minute uh, about yourself and your overall synopsis of this conversation and the advice that you have for those that are listening, if you want people to contact you and reach out to you, and also let us know your takeaways for financial freedom and how to actually achieve that. So anything that you want to share with our audience, uh, you have exactly one minute. I'm going to start with Mike who is the sponsor of today's show. <laughs> yes, you know what, I, it, it's been a pleasure kind of uh, getting everyone's um, opinions and, and thoughts and ideas. And, you know, I'm really glad I was invited to this conversation. Um, I, I, I would just like to share that um, I think that anything that you want to achieve, any goal that you want to have, you have the power to go out there and do it. Um, I think that any type of financial literacy starts at home. Um, you know, it's the the. I, I remember my first teacher was my uh, my father. We had a electrical business when I was twelve years old. He picked me up in school in his electrical truck. I used to go on jobs with him. So you know, just being there with your family and 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 having this information and it passes down and you pass it down to your to your children. And this is how you start to build this generational knowledge of how to. Maintain is the, the I guess the financial stability you got that you want to have. So I think it starts there, um, and it starts there, then it spreads out, and then eventually you have this collective consciousness of you know people in your community because we all have this home basis of knowledge that we just kind of keep sharing, and this idea that you know we can a- achieve this wealth and and, and have this um, ability to save and grow and invest in real estate and own businesses and. And I think that's how it kind of spreads organically. So um, being able to have everyone's different opinions from, like, the life insurance and, you know, the, the credit specialists and um, the young lady that, you know, has the the, the, the multifamily unit and, you know, it's really uh, great kind of having this dialogue. And I think for the people listening, get a chance to, like, you know, hear us talk about it and um, kind of take some notes and, and have some uh, examples of, you know, what they can kind of implement in their lives. So. That's my that's my minute. Hopefully, I stuck to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brandon. Um, I'm gonna go with what everyone's. I was the one that was saying I'm taking notes in here because this was definitely <laughs> a, a learning opportunity for me as well. Um, I think my perspective on it is a little bit different. I don't have so much, and I am I am learning. I'll admit that in my early 30s, I am just now getting to a place where I feel stable in in that financial place. And it took some time. It took a lot of mistakes. Um, and I'm. I'm looking at it from the entrepreneurial space of it starts, you can start small, but make that effort, Mm -hmm. make that effort to do it, get out there. And to the point that everyone's been making, educate yourself and, and learn. And in regards to the community as a whole, um, buy black, buy black. If you can do it, help the next man um, that's already out here or woman that's already out here um, doing this work. And that has a, a institution or something that you can put into that supports the community at large. Um, there's a huge difference that can be made with just a little bit of change. And with regard to the personal finance side, I will leave that to the experts, but definitely, definitely educate yourself on that credit and then how that affects you, how you can utilize that to your benefit, because so much is put on us in, in the consumerist mind state. Go out here, buy, 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 impress, com- impress compete with everyone that's garbage, man. We got to build. It is time, and I feel like that change is happening little by little, but it's definitely going to take an effort. And, um, again, I'm Brandon Evans. I am with the YWCA of Metropolitan Chicago um, in our Business and Entrepreneurship Services Department. You can just, like, generally Google that. If anyone's interested in connecting with me, I'm more than happy to talk. And, um, yeah, hopefully help and be a value add to you. So that's my spiel. Right. Uh Correct me if I say it wrong. Nativa. Nativa. <laughs> Nativa. I'm sorry. It's a beautiful name. I just can't pronounce it. Okay. <laughs> no worries. Um, one of the things that I always stress is having a purpose for your money. When I tell people, when I first sit down and start working with them, I actually ask them, what are some of your financial goals? And I hear a pause. We are so stuck in living and surviving or maintaining and getting more of that we never sit back, what am I working towards and is my money meeting that purpose? Is it meeting those goals? 
So actually take a step back. Even when you're purchasing a house, what, is this, what, is, what does this purchase mean to me? Once I accomplish this, then what? Um, I actually had a conversation mm-hmm. with one of my mentors, and I talked about after I got over this overwhelming amount of debt, you know, I, I kind of was, it was like crickets. My husband and I kind of sat down like, now what? Because we weren't constantly having our mo- money move in motion towards our future goals. It's so important for us to set a goal, to continuously work toward it, and have it go to our purpose. Our goals are going to change, but our purpose is, is long-term, financial freedom. Mine's is financial peace of mind, being able to provide for my family, being able to travel when I want, but also being able to take care of my future self. So when you're looking at this month-to-month finances, you want to think about what is my long-term goal as well. How do I want to turn up at 65? And I know it's not in that same five, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know if I go turn up at 65, do I want to turn up? What does that life look like for future Nativa, for future you? So think about that. I'm sure I'm past a minute right now, but that's that's one of the things that I always like to pinpoint, especially with African Americans, because we are so, a lot of us are struggling. A lot of us are in debt. Our credit scores are stuck. So it's preventing us, as Jamisha mentioned, from getting jobs, from other opportunities, from being able to take advantage of opportunities when they are, in, you know, presently available to us because we're not prepared. So get prepared now. Fix your credit when you don't need it. Get your money right, which is better than credit, in my opinion, when you're on point with your money. Get those coins mm-hmm. right and have it working towards your future goals, your future self, and not just thinking about the present and right now. All right. That is a sermon, girl. All right. David. <laughs> All right, uh, David Thomas, and if anybody wants to connect or reach with, reach out to me, um, I'll give out my Facebook page, which is just facebook.com forward slash David Thomas 4. That's the number 4. Uh, so David Thomas to the number 4. Uh, but just connect with me. I, I think, you know, coming from here, I, I really expected someone to ask the question of, you know, what does wealth mean to you? Uh, so I'm going to address that really quickly. Uh, you know, and to me, when I look at our community and, and where we are, wealth to me is when your passive income far exceeds your bills and your expenses and the things you need to live. I'm talking, you know, all your vacation money, everything. If your monthly needs are, you know, 4000 a month and you have passive income of 8000 a month, to me, you're wealthy. Um, and I'm just speaking that from a monetary from from a monetary standpoint, not necessarily from a spiritual standpoint, not necessarily you know from a family standpoint, uh, just from a monetary standpoint by creating wealth in our in our families, in our communities, in our household. So I, I would encourage people to you know create passive income so that your passive income far exceeds your monthly expenses, your bills, the things you need to maintain. Uh, because I feel like we can get so much further ahead. Uh, when we get that passive income, and when I say passive, I mean you're not getting up and going to work for it every day. It's coming in while you're sleeping every 30 days. Um, so that excites me, and I, I get excited when I can help other individuals create that passive income uh, that exceeds their current expenses. Um, so, you know, a lot of times that's my focus. Uh, at the end of the day, if you have questions in regards to real estate, life insurance, uh, credit, uh, things of that nature, I'm happy to help assist uh, investments, whether it be, you know, mutual funds, stocks, bonds, things of that nature. We can have all of those conversations, and you can feel free to get educated um, from, a, from not from a selfish standpoint, just from a standpoint of, of being able to exchange ideas, conversation, information, and trust me, I'm not going to be trying to sell you something because it requires a lot of me. I'd rather educate you and if you need help, help you uh, and not necessarily charge you for that. So I'm here. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak. All right. Uh, Jonay? Hi, Joe here. The name of my company is Epiphany Essentials. I have a website. It's epiphanyessentials.com. You can find me on Instagram, Epiphany Essentials, Facebook, Twitter as well. And you can go to epiphanyessentials.com backslash blog and check out my blog on Fridays, which is about financial freedom. And I just touch on different topics and piggybacking piggybacking on everything that's been said, what I would say is start to think about what you do with your free time. There's no such thing as free time. If you're watching TV, you're watching other people live their dreams. 
you're looking at millionaires or hundred thousandaires. If that's what you want to be, turn off the TV. Pick up a book. I just read a great book, The Millionaire Next Door, by um, I have it sitting on my bed, Thomas Stanley. So there are books out here. There are resources. I'm going to quote my father, and this is not to be offensive, but he said all of these people are walking around with smartphones and they act like dummies. You have a phone. You go on Facebook and Twitter. Utilize Google and other resources. Seeking alpha um, investment sites. And it it can become overwhelming. I'm not saying that. Start small. Start with the books. Start with seminars, webinars. Just start gathering information before you get out there. And then seek out experts like a David Thomas, a Nativa, and other people, and make sure that expert has done what you are trying to do. Don't purchase real estate from somebody who doesn't own real estate. Don't purchase life insurance from somebody who doesn't have their own. Don't invest in stocks and bonds if your advisor can't show you or share with you their portfolio or their client's portfolios to show you success. So think about what you're doing with your free time and start to educate yourself. There are resources out here. They're online. They're in books. They're um, cities give free classes. The city of Chicago gives free classes to business owners and aspiring business owners, free, F-R-E-E. Get out there and start putting your fingers to work on Google and empower yourself to change your financial situation, those in your family and your community as well. All right. Thank you guys so much for participating in this panel. To everyone listening, uh, just so you guys know, we've been hitting so many marks and milestones with our listeners. We're increasing by a 1,000 every single day. So I love you all for enjoying this with me and sharing this. Real quick, I have a few church announcements. The Jessica LaShawn Foundation on December 7th will have a movie night with Prosser Academy. We're going to take a few students out to see the new Spike Lee movie. We're going to hold a discussion about that and how to combat violence within our community. Also, we're doing something on the 9th. We're having a college application prep camp. So if you would like to volunteer and help us read over college admissions essays, feel free to hit me up at jl.jessicalashawn.org. Also, Mogul Academy is looking for a few male panelists to participate in our panel at Thornwood High School on January 5th, 2016. Email me if you would like to participate. Don't forget to subscribe to JL Radio. Thank you so much to everyone on the line. I love you all, and to all a good night. All right? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. 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 Have a good one. Bye. Bye. You Thank too. you, everyone. All right.